So welcome to episode 16 of Sparks of Madness. Um, and uh, in this episode, I talk to Jed Salisbury, who is a comedian and pro-comedian from Hull, um, over on the East Coast, um, and is someone I've gigged with before and um, talked a lot with on social media and stuff like that as well. He's a lovely guy. And we talk about um, mainly about lockdown and the impact of lockdown on him as a pro-comedian who lost a serious amount of work um, during the initial stages of lockdown. Um, this was arguably going to be his kind of breakthrough year um, into sort of the, the next level of, of comedy from where he's at now, which is a comedian who gets regularly paid work, gets all of his income from comedy, moving up to the next level where more people were going to hear of him, um, some possible TV work, stuff like that. Um, we talk about that, the impact of that on him, uh, which was quite profound. Um, and and the future, uh, because comedy is starting to come back. On a side note, um, on the day that this uh, pod gets um, goes out there, um, on Bank Holiday Monday at the end of August, it's my first physical gig back um, uh, after all of the lockdown stuff. So, you know, things might be turning a corner. I've got my first gig at a nice little venue in Halifax, which I'm hoping goes well. But anyway, back to Jed. Uh, we talk about lockdown, the impact of that on him. We talk about his what he describes as his high-functioning depression, um, and we also talk about the impact on him of having been on a couple of quite high-profile TV shows. Um, he did um, a show called The Naked Truth um, on BBC some time ago, and then last year he was um, one of the sort of main figures in uh, BBC two-parter documentary called Who Are You Calling Fat, which I watched with interest Part because I knew he was on it, but also as a as a lard ass myself, I was interested to see what the documentary had to say. Um, and um, I, uh, there'll be a link in this to um, to the show if it's on iPlayer, and also to a blog I wrote at the time about it. Um, so it's interesting to see the impact that might have had, and also how the producers of that show. Um, uh, took into account the potential risks to the participants' mental health um, and what me- what steps they took, which wasn't his experience with the first show. And so how, in the light of things like Love Island and uh, Jeremy Kyle and incidents that have happened around those shows with participants taking their own lives, um, how maybe the, the TV industry is, is changing um, to, to reflect that. So it's a really nice, interesting chat. Jed's a lovely guy. I'd recommend anyone who's over in Hull goes and sees him or looks him up. Um, and uh, just enjoy uh, episode 16 of Sparks of Madness with Jed Salisbury. Okay, welcome to episode 16 of Sparks of Madness. And this week I'm chuffed to welcome uh, my my good friend uh, and uh, rather sexy chap, Mr. Jed Salisbury. How are you doing, Jed? Hello, uh, my good friend and also very sexy chap, Graham. <laughs> I'm, I'm very disappointed. Like uh, on the actual recording, he's got like some sexy bass going. I was like expecting you to play that live. Oh no, no, I'll add that later. That's oh. the mood music. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, that's basically that was the sexiest music I could find that was free. Right. Because so, um, I don't like spending money unless I have to. Um, except well, on give me a trip on, so you know it works. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, not how I expected the conversation to start, but um, it's thrown me off now. I'm all, all flustered oh, now. I like um, to surprise people. <laughs> uh, 
Um, brilliant. So, um, so how have you been anyway? How's how's it's months since I've seen you because of lockdown. Um, how's how's life treating you? Um, you know what? It's 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 all right. Like it was it was really shit. It started off shit, then got really shit, got re- even shitter, and then I kind of got used to it, and I was like, well, okay, things are fine. And then it seems like things are picking up now. Like um, mm. gigs are coming back and things aren't all as scary as they used to be. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's certainly been my kind of experience just lately. Is it seems to be picking up, although I would say that I'm trying not to get too excited because I worry it might all get taken away again now. I've got that fear of loss. I haven't even had my first physical gig back yet. I've got that. On, on Monday when this will go out. Um, but I'm still worried that something's going to happen to take it all away. So I'm just in that slight anxious phase at the moment. You see, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like that, but I, I try not to think like that. I always have a it-is-what-it-is attitude, um, and it often plays against me. Mm, but uh, mm, I'm trying to keep that back. about it, yeah. Wicked. Because this was going to be... Is it fair to say this felt like this was going to be quite a big year for you? That's how it reads when I was watching your career from a distance. So, you know, I mean, the other side of Yorkshire, it looked like this was the year where you had quite big plans. And Yeah, I happened. felt like this was like, um, like I, luckily I managed to get in a TED Talk before going into lockdown. Um, and then everything else was sort of building. I, uh, I had potential uh, telework on the horizon and then I was going to Edinburgh as the best in, uh, best in class. I was going to spend the whole month there instead of like a week because I was going to compare the full thing. So it felt like a a year that I was going to springboard into the next sort of level. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All that means is it's delayed. At least, no, the the one thing that I've taken, and I'm not normally like this with comedy, but the one, but I think everyone's been a bit less. At least there isn't a thing of anybody leaving anybody behind. Because everyone's in the same big fucking shitty boat at the moment. So Yeah, I I don't think. Losing that stuff is... I've not lost it because, like, it's all just delayed, but... Yeah. The... I feel the difficult thing is, like, I'm at a weird age. Like, I'm 13 this year. Well, just turned 30. And you shouldn't compare yourself to others, but I look where my friends are in their lives and their careers. And essentially, I don't want them things, but also, I've now got to put my life on pause for another year. And that's difficult. Mm-hmm. that's difficult to sort of watch um, as my friends' lives continue and grow and I'm just like, just waiting for next year. So what have you been doing during lockdown then? Because you, you'd you gone, had you given up your day job? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd got, so I'd, uh, I'd been full-time uh, since last year. Yeah. Um, essentially. And um, yeah, so I... Uh, I, I I hadn't been self-employed long enough to get the performance grant or um, apply for self-employedness. I never got furloughed. Yeah. I, so instead, I had to go on universal credit, which was a huge hit to my money. Yeah. But then I also do um, social care work. Okay. Um, so I look after a guy with disabilities. And then I, I kind of found work. People... Weird thing, karma really came back for me in lockdown. So, like, bars and people that I helped out early on in my career really came back to pay me back. Like, a bar got in touch and asked me to run their social media. 
And I was like, wow. They was like, we don't essentially need you, but the fact that we could have you on board means a lot to us. And that was because when they first opened, no one would put any events on. And I was like, yeah, I'll run a comedy night for you. Help you try and get your bar off the ground. Uh, yeah. And because I didn't charge them at the time, they've they've now like employed me and help, are helping me see through things. That's wicked, man. That's really that is because it's been a lot of doom and gloom, and I suppose there's there's bits like that where with some positives to take from stuff. I think, and that's that's nice. I yeah, think, it kind of lets you know you're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means that people don't think you're a prick. Is ostensibly, yeah. I think that those people have obviously thought you're someone that's worth you know helping out which is lovely and the other i think the other thing i've seen as well is that not for everybody but there's a few people out there who've been quite um creative in terms of how to overcome the lack of an audience or the lack of a gig space and stuff i mean i've not i've not really done anything but i've seen some people who've done loads but i've i've been really lucky i've still got the day job i've got my my salary coming in so i can't be a bleeding heart about it all i'm missing is that kind of the laughter crack you know the the hit you get from from being on stage that's it that's the the social aspect and the the highs of a gig is what i'm missing i'm not i'm not like you I'm, I'm really lucky i'm not missing the money i've not had that impact so i can only try and empathize really with that but it's been it's been clear from the number of people i've heard from that it's been a really fucking hard time so i'm just hoping that it's not a false dawn at the moment i'm hoping things are going to come back and stay back somehow well, I'm sure there'll be a few hiccups, but you know, yeah. I'm kind of blessed in the sense that I I still live with my parents, uh, which was a curse before lockdown. But it has also meant um, I'm in a weird position where I don't really make any money. Like I don't make mm. enough money to make have things, but I'm not losing anything. So I'm kind of like just in this little void of where it's like I'm just getting by, and it's I understand yeah. some artists and speaking to some friends. Have lost a lot, and that's and like so. I I mean, to count my darlings, I'm doing okay. I think. Yeah, what's it like over in Hull at the moment in terms of you know we'll get onto sort of the mental health stuff in a bit, but venues wise, and there's obviously been a lot of talk about some of the the more. I think it feels like the two two aspects that have been hit worst are small independent places, and then some of the the ones that have made the news are some of the. Uh, the bigger named venues like the stand's been in the in the press this week because you know it's got the, the the Newcastle club and then Glasgow and Edinburgh and they're three of the, the biggest clubs around you know traditional comedy clubs that have given people a start and they're struggling what's it like over in Hull obviously there's the comedy lounge and there's a few other smaller venues around are those guys looking like they're going to survive and, and still be around um i i i mean i honestly don't know the inner inner working details the comedy lounge is back up and running i know that mm. um and hopefully you know a swift in tide and people going out will change things we mm. have watched a lot of venues though uh generally which has been quite difficult because i'm the director of the whole comedy festival and normally by now we've got things programmed in mm. but we don't know the future of venues or anything like that mm. so we can't Tricky, isn't it? Because if you if you one of your venues is a you know if it's a multi-purpose place if it's a pub that lets you have the room on a Thursday night or something like that and yeah. they've been shafted by their landlords or whatever then it's what can you do I suppose but and I've had that it's, the the Huddersfield gig you did with me the the parish they've they've been shafted by their landlord so they're that that venue is no more but they're reopening somewhere else hopefully any time now and it was a lovely venue you know, as well yeah it was a great room um, and I don't know whether. The, 
they're, they're still planning. It's mainly mainly a music venue, so I'm mm. hoping to be able to resurrect something there. But it's like little places like that where you're just trying to build a little bit of a scene in a in an area. Um, it might be really tricky. I was talking to a promoter, a relatively new promoter, um, Anthony Williams, who's down in the Midlands and or sort of you know, Derbyshire kind of way, and he was saying, and I agree with him that I think the future for for comedy might be for a lot of comedy might be those places where they just put one offs on, you know, but you know, sports clubs and and those kind of places that are just wanting to do singular events, which might make regular nights tricky for for a lot of people. I don't know, but we will see. Um yeah. digress anyway. So I, when I, did you I, see I, you, I'm sorry, I was gonna say I'll tell you this much. I think it's the first time I've seriously thought in my long tenure of trying to make it as a pro comedian of this is maybe the time to get out. Really? Yeah, it's just I think it was already just from a, just from a kind of a, a a realistic. Can you make a living from it in the future? Point. Yeah, I mean, it was already difficult, and I was, you know, I made it there. I, I you know, I did it for a year, and I, you know, I was getting there. But then also, things have now completely shifted. I think, you know, you're going to get bigger stars going for lower fees because mm-hmm. the money's not there anymore, and so guys who were kind of on the cusp of, you know working regular for these clubs get pushed out and it's um it's made me question like i've given 10 years to it how much more do i want to give to it and especially if the money's not there for me to take part in do how much like i'll always perform but i I think it's the first time i've gone maybe start putting your eggs somewhere else for a bit yeah yeah that's interesting um and I think uh, I suspect there will be others that feel that way, and that was one of the things I was uh, I was saying from relatively early is that probably people who are in my position where you've got a day job and I haven't, you know, I've not been going long enough to have even really considered changing. You know, if it was two or three years down the line when maybe I might be making that decision, I might have been absolutely screwed. So it's certainly food for thought there, and I think there will be people who fall by the wayside or, or like you say, who who kind of abandon it as a career choice and. And I'm already seeing, as a as a promoter, I'm already seeing that you know, and I'm only putting a couple of gigs on. But when you when I've put out, you know, um, Thursday night spots for a hundred quid for a headliner, the level of act applying is much different now than it was six months ago. Hugely different. People that I would never have expected to apply for a gig like that, and it might be the initial flurries of I just want to get on stage again and it will hopefully settle down, but. Um, you know, you're seeing people who, who, from my point of view, I'm thinking that you know I'm offering what I think is a pretty low fee because I've got a low budget, and I've got people applying that I would never have dreamed of applying for that. So I, I'll see what I think. We'll have to see what happens with that, but I think the face of comedy will change. Um, and um, but uh, you know, don't give up on it, man. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> no, but, um, so you've been going ten years. That's a good segue into. So you're you're just about to turn thirty. Yeah, and you've been going through since since you were about twenty. Then, is that right? Yeah, two, uh, November first, two thousand and nine. I I did my first gig. That's uh, that's the day before my son was born. Wow, <laughs> he was born on the in the wee hours of November the second. My wife was probably in labour or just about to be when you're on stage. That's really fucking weird, isn't it? So we mean Maybe you were both bricking it at that time. <laughs> so that's weird because with my first, with my my eldest, the midwife, we went for a midwife uh, appointment, which is a massive tangent. That um, She was already about a week overdue and we went for a midwife appointment and the midwife basically said, go home and have a curry or have sex because it will <laughs> induce labour. 
clearly with our second one it was somewhere presumably in Hull a, a sexy man will be on stage and that will trigger labour so <laughs> fantastic so um, what was your how did you get into it then at 20 years old what made you get on stage oh so I'm such a like a, a cliche here so me and my uh, I weirdly I, I was at a barbecue with this friend I've not seen him in, in months or but uh so me and my friend, we really fancied a girl in our sociology class. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, we weren't very attractive uh, as teenagers. Uh, so we would try and make her laugh. And so we started writing jokes just to make her laugh so she'd like us. Mm. And then we got really good at making people laugh. And then people were like, oh, you should give stand-up a try. And we were like, Oh, we don't know. And then, weirdly, our teacher um, was in a sketch group that performed in Hull. And he was like, hey, you should do. Like, here's the people to get in touch with. And then I went and did a day comedy course. uh, And then I did my first gig and was like, yep, this is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And how was that first gig? Obviously, you got something from it. But did, did you genuinely, if you look back now, did you genuinely smash it or did you just think you did? Um, I think you got to look back at your level of like, yeah. I can look back at gigs that I did back in the heyday where I thought I smashed them and was like, this is terrible. This needs work. I think I can look back now and be like, I did reasonably well for my first time. Like it was yeah. a good, I, I, I had five minutes. I think I did three and a half. I don't remember any of it. I got complete tunnel vision. Um, but I do remember just getting off stage going, yeah, that that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, and it was it was it that that feeling of an audience taking an audience with you is that what it was that that rush you get? Yeah, like yeah. it was just it was just it was kind of weird though because like everyone who I told I was doing comedy to all kind of just went yeah that makes complete perfect sense. You didn't get anyone taking the piss. Yeah, no, everyone was like always. Oh, this is exactly what we want to see you doing type thing, and then yeah. it was sort of just a weird couple of years after that because. I wish I was smarter when I first started comedy because I didn't know anything about forums or booking. And I'd say my first three years in comedy, three, four years in comedy, I did less than 30 gigs. Really? Yeah, because I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't, like, smart enough to... get yourself out there particularly. Yeah. um, So it'd just be, like, word of mouth, like, oh, my friend's friend. And then I eventually dropped out of uni... And was like, I got a job in a call centre and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Mm. Um, and I remember I got, I remember this because I dropped out of the call centre because I got a gig with Rob Rouse, mm. who was one of my idols before going into comedy. Mm. And they wasn't going to give me the time off to go gig with Rob Rouse. And I was like, mm. you know what? I quit. I don't yeah. care. I'd ra- and then I went and gigged with Rob Rouse, and that went so well that the Silky, the promoter, then booked me again next week to do some more support for him. Nice. And from, really nice. from that, I went straight into part-time work, and I started doing it properly. So I say I've been doing it 10 years. I'd say properly about five years. It's weird. I was talking to, on earlier episodes, but to um, Matt Reed, um, who, to, to bring it around full circle, is currently selling um, pictures of the stand to raise money for the stand. And he was talking about, um, I think he had a job, I think it was in Asda, he said, 
and he quit his job in Amsterdam because they wouldn't give him time off for a big gig. Um, and he just thought, fuck it. And so I'm sure, I'm sure that's what he said. He's, he just basically said, right, that's it, I'm going. And uh, he quit his job because of, they wouldn't get, for, for, you know, for one of those milestone gigs where you think this is a decent, you know, this is going to be one of the ones that's going to go on my CV or one of the ones I'm never going to forget. And they yeah. wouldn't give him the time off and he'd been working his ass off for them. So it's, it's funny how that happens in those kind of jobs. I've been incredibly lucky. My, my employer is really supportive, but also, you know, I, I work nine to five and it's, it's very rare that I need time off to get to a gig. So, um, but yeah, brilliant. So, and Silky obviously saw something in you to book you again. And was that sort of, did you, did you really feel like you belonged then in comedy? Was that one of those moments where you thought, yeah, I've got this? Um, I don't think I've ever felt I belong in comedy. It was just one of those moments where I think it was a personal moment for me going, this is what I want to do. And I'm not happy doing anything else. Like, that's the weird thing. This is what scares me about the situation of now me going, I need to find something else. Mm-hmm. I've never been content in any job I've ever done mm. other than stand-up. Mm. Uh, and it, for me, it was just that, it was that motivation. It was like, do you know, it sounds, do you know Rocky where he's just at the first, he's like bumming around and he's not really doing anything? Well, mm-hmm. that gig, I would say, was like the the start of the Rocky tune. And from then, I went from doing a gig like once every other month to like a gig a week. Like I just started going for it and going for it, and like yeah. slowly building my reputation. And uh, have you got Have you got a Mickey then? Have you got a Mickey in your life that is your? Do you have, any, do you, have you had any kind of mentors or I um, overseen you at all or anything like that? There, there's you know these comedians that sort of come in and help you and um sort of help motivate you and stuff. I've always, mm. weirdly, my biggest cheerleader has always been my mum, which is lucky. Mm. Um, so she's never, like, she's never sat me down and gone, maybe you need to stop following your dream and move out my house. Which I always <laughs> think <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is because it, your mum and dad, are, there's, a, there's a weird, with parents, there's a kind of a weird thing of a combination of just wanting you to be happy but also not wanting you to delude yourself and wanting you to just settle down and she probably wants you to get married and get a mortgage and have kids and all that stuff but you know it's like i know what you mean but that's really nice man to have your mum supporting you great yeah um so so 10 years in now talk to me about your the whole sort of principle i suppose of premise of this podcast is comedy and mental health What's your what's your mental health situation been like then? Um, it's you know it's constantly, I've I've always been gifted, um, I I high functioning I'd say gifted but I'm high functioning depression, right? So even if I am depressed, like I get shit done. Yeah, you're not someone Wait. who's gonna be under the duvet all day, not wanting to face the world or, or anything. yeah, like I have days like that, but also. Mm. I'd say comedy was maybe a source of this, but um, um, I remember, like, I dropped out uni due to depression. Right. And I remember I remember the conversation that caused it, and I was just like... Because I was doing media, and I quite enjoyed media, and I said to my media teacher, who wasn't a very good teacher, um, what's next after this degree? Do we start applying for work in the media industry? What happens? She's like, oh, well, next you have to go to London uh, and work for free. And I was like, 
oh, okay, is he like, apprenticeships are like funding for this. And she goes, oh, no, your your parents will pay for it. <laughs> I remember just thinking, my parents struggle to afford to live in Hull. How were they meant to do that and then get me to live into London? And, like, I remember just kind of thinking the whole world was kind of against me. Yeah. And, like, I felt like I kind of fell into a rut of jobs where I was like, I guess this is it. I guess this is as good as it gets. And that that always kind of depressed me. Like I don't, my depression comes from me ever stagnating still. Yeah. Which is when we came into lockdown, um, like, the first week from the Friday the 13th was my last gig and then we went into lockdown the next Friday, Friday the 20th. Yeah. But I remember that week I lost £6,000 worth of work Jesus. throughout the year and then that just kept on going and I remember being really depressed um, and just being like, that's it. And it's the, and the, thing, the thing is though, that would, that would affect anybody. Yeah. That has to affect anybody. Um, but if you've got kind of an underlying condition or issue or whatever you want to call it um, the effect it's just how big the effect is I suppose isn't it how did you cope with that then um, I isolated myself a lot in my room which I never I never try and do if I'm depressed I always try to put myself around people because if I'm around people I don't want them to think I'm depressed so yeah. I, I put on a show. Just make it till you make it, yeah. yeah. And the more I put on a show, the more I don't feel depressed. But the only issue with that is I can only be on so long and then I, I need a break from people to recharge my batteries. Totally relate to that. Absolutely. But if I leave it too long and my batteries are too bleated, the more time I take by myself to charge them, the more depressed I get, and the more difficult it's then to go meet people. Yeah, catch twenty two. Yeah, got you. So, <laughs> so um, but what that's interesting is at a time when you've gone from kind of the reverse of naught to sixty. You've gone from full pelt, and, and actually our, our last gigs were the same day. Mine was Friday the thirteenth as well. Um, except I was calling bingo at a charity do and doing stand up, which is fucking weird. <laughs> um, but um, to go from that to to nothing. On top of that, you you've gone from performing to lockdown, and you've actually taken the step of further isolating yourself more than you needed to, which is quite interesting. That you've gone from you know being out there, and you could have just even in your family, and the word at the moment is bubble anyway, but that would have been the right word. Yeah. But you've you further isolated yourself. How long do you think that lasted? It lasted until we lost Edinburgh. So I think Edinburgh came in about a month after that. So you had a real a month of real loneliness then. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I are you on are you on meds or anything like that? If you don't mind me asking. No, I I've never really messed with meds. Yeah. I don't like them. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Um, um I I took them initially about ten years ago. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan. It, it feels like they sort of they don't necessarily. I didn't feel like they helped me very much. So I've seen what they've done to friends, and I don't think they help friends. I like they're not happy pills, are they? They're just pills <laughs> that stop you feeling sad, but then they also stop you feeling happiness. And you're like, yeah, they kind of just blur the edges of all of your emotions. I'd, I'd, yeah, like I'd, I'd rather not be zombied out. I'd rather feel 
Mm. Like, because I'm not, I'm not worried about my tradition. I've never been, like, I've only ever thought of, like, self-harm ones, but, like, like, I've never, and I never kill myself in, in mm. the, like, I've never been depressed where I'm like, I'm going to kill myself. I have states of existential crisis where I wish I just didn't exist. Mm. I think that's mm. where I'm at a lot. Like, I just that's a good wish. distinction to make, though. Think, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't now change that. I I do exist, and I I wouldn't take myself out of the game now. Mm. But there is times where I wish, like you know, I didn't exist. And I think that's that's a lot of my depression is just not wanting to exist. Um, and I think it was a month of that, and then I lost Edinburgh, and I think that was a changing point just because it had all gone then. Like everything, like my main worry was when we were in lockdown, I wasn't going to make enough money to go to Edinburgh. And I was going to miss the boat of the yeah. next level. And then the boat had gone anyway and no one else was on the boat. And I was like, what am I doing? Mm. And that's when I started like making like little video clips with my little brother and stuff. Mm. And we were like doing uh, Jed Lens things. One, just because he was climbing the walls with boredom. And two, it kind of helped me as well. Because yeah. it was a little bit creative. It was a little bit of fun. And it was like we'd spend all day together type thing, so that was pretty good. Like that. Oh, he's a teenager, your brother, isn't he? Yeah, he's fourteen years old. Yeah. Because you talk about him on stage. Does he know you talk about him on stage? Yeah, yeah. Does he yeah. mind? No, no. He's... I think he would <laughs> if he had the material, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he gets it. In case he it, it. It's a weird thing. Like he's like the videos we did, even though like I kind of bully him in him. He's really proud of them. Yeah. And he's cool. like, oh, look at all these things. And he really enjoys them. I'd say as much or even more than me, which I think is really good. That's nice. So I think he actually kind of likes that I talk about him on stage and stuff. Wicked. Well, not a lot of 14-year-olds will have that, so that's good. Yeah. So you've lost Edinburgh. You've 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 hit that low, but you've kind of, I suppose, come to realisation that there's not much more that's going to hit you in terms of practical changes. Is yeah. that what helped you turn a corner or? Yeah, pretty much. Like I was just, when you realize like my struggle, I don't know if this is right to say, but my struggle has always been, I'm not surrounded by people in the entertainment industry. Like a couple of my friends do comedy, but like a lot, my main source of friends are comedians. Yeah. So their lives have always took, like, they've got houses, they've got kids, they've got wives. I mean, I don't want a a, 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 a kid or anything. Like, that's never been my... But, you know, when you kind of look at your friends and go, maybe I should be with them. Like, I don't want to be the constant Jack Black at the beginning of any Jack Black movie. It's <laughs> a great analogy. And that's, unfortunately, where I often find myself. Yeah. And so a bit of me... It could be worse. Like, it could be like the Adam Sandler at the beginning of an Adam Sandler movie. That would be... I'm not that far off. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it, yeah it's I know a, what you mean. It's, it's one of them where I look at that and go, that's where I am. But like, weirdly now, I'm kind of comfy with it. Like it's... It's... it's You know, I'm, I'm doing my best to change it. And like, you see people unhappy in their work and I was never unhappy in my work. So I yeah. guess that's something. Yeah, and, it, and like I say, it's coming back. So I think yeah, it'd be just nice to see people getting back on the on the horse, as it were, and just just the natural kind of. 
I think there'll be some fall storms, as I say, but I think people will start to get that little buzz back, and you know, it's yes, yeah. and and I think there is an appetite for it out there among audiences. I mean, the, my gig on on Monday, it's only thirty people, but that's that's sold out. You know, just before for Monday, man, that's come. great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice, and it? it's you just think, but it's because people want to come out, and people want to. Uh, some of those people want to support the local scene. Some of those people just want to go to an event, and I think there'll be a lot of that as well. So I think there's there's some causes for optimism, albeit you know, just not getting carried away, I suppose. But um, yeah, throughout think... lockdown, people were messaging me about doing live gigs and stuff like that. Oh, mm. when you're going to do a live gig? It was just never for me. Yeah, yeah, I tried. I, I did a couple. Um, and I've got to, got to be honest, just seeing a sea of faces on a screen that are on mute so that the people can hear you and not hear them laughing. So you've got that weird kind of, it's almost like a horror film of silently laughing faces. It's it's like, for me, it feels like a comedian nightmare that you can't yeah. hear the laughter and you're having to sort of search. It's weird. So it just didn't work for me. Um, but I did a couple of them. And I think I did okay, but it's there's nothing like being in the room. Um, and I always found uh, these kind of things better, like podcasts. Like I did, I've done a couple yeah. of these now in lockdown, and like talking to a comedian, just bouncing off each other. Because like a lot of the main thing I enjoy is the green room, and so this that yeah. sort of energy on a podcast is always sort of good. Yeah, I agree. People, and, and I've had a few. I've actually enjoyed that more with a few people. I've had the odd video call with and stuff as a group, just to kind of check in with people that I might regularly car share with and stuff like that. That's yeah. been good. Um, Although I've done it, I've I've been getting grief from them because I quite often cry off of the calls because I'm I am one of those people that's married with kids, so my wife doesn't want to sit in the living room while I've got earphones in telling dick jokes to people that you know just to pass the time. So some um, people don't appreciate anyway. Free... <laughs> exactly, free, she's getting a free free gig there, but yeah. my wife genuinely doesn't think I'm funny. She thinks I'm an absolute prick. So <laughs> um, you know, she's just. It's true, it's true, but she's had to deal with it for 20, 21 years we were together yeah. yesterday. So she's had to deal with it uh, One of my friends, um, do you know Dave Smith, the comedian? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember doing an awful gig for awful gig with him once, and it was in Hull. And the gig was bad anyway. Like it was, it was just terribly made up and stuff like that. And it was like, it's one of them where you're like, okay, like I'm just going to do this for my fee and get off. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm comparing it, and I go backstage, and I'm like, I think it's workable, guys. I think it's workable. Except this one lady in the front row, miserable cow, absolute dragon, won't smile at anything. <laughs> and Dave looks on the curtain and goes, oh, my God, that's my wife. <laughs> and I feel so bad for him, because he smashes <laughs> it so much. But this is the only gig she ever went to, and was like, is that it? Is that what comedy is? So my with my wife, it's it's either like she gets pissed off because I overshare because I do material about us, yeah, um, or um, she just doesn't find some of the more vulgar stuff funny. Um, but then also when stuff happens at home now, you know anything around conversations about sex or vulgarity or things that our kids say about stuff like that. She's then like that. You are not allowed to do that on fucking stage. And she, you know, she's like that cannot be spoken about. And it's like, but it needs to. That's that's gold, you know. And it's like, so it's, it's really tricky, man. It's really tricky. I have to, I have to sort of sometimes change and exaggerate the details to to make it 
you know, past the wife. That's the scary point. I'm just starting to get into a relationship now, and and so like I've not been gigging, so but I wonder I I might need to check. (laughs) Well, there's there's a bit I do. uh, I'm not going to say which bit. There's a bit I do though, um, which is people who some of my friends have been a few times always reference it, um, and um, it's 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 actually true. But I then had someone come up to me once after a gig and said, I'm sure I've seen someone doing that before. And I was like, well, unless they've been having sex with my wife or, <laughs> or it's exactly the same p- habit they're in, then that's fucking weird, you know, because that is actually true. Um, but anyway, again, tangent time. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, obviously you were uh, briefly a TV star. Um, was it last year? Yeah, it was uh, October last year. So you were in um, a show... Um, what was it called? Was it Who Are You Calling Fat? This is my favourite thing, yeah. Who Are You Calling Fat? And it's amazing. I was going to call it So You Think You're Fat, but that's So You Think You're yeah. Funny, isn't it? So Who Are You but Calling Fat? People, like, people recognise me from the show, but never want to call it Who Are You Calling Fat because they think it offends me. So <laughs> is, um, You were like, on the oh, show. You know you were on the show, don't you? Like, so. Oh, you're from that show on BBC. Oh, uh, Who Are You Calling Lovely Personality? And, and for people who didn't see it, it was a two—I think it was a two-parter, wasn't it? Where basically yeah. a group of of obese fat people lived together in a house, um, and it was people with all, all kinds of different attitudes to their weight and di- who coped with the, or dealt with their weight in different ways. And you saw a few specialists and stuff like that, didn't you? It was, I, I watched it. I I blogged about it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, it's it was intriguing to me that you were in there as a stand-up comedian and probably came across as the nicest person or one of the nicest people in there. Because I think if I'd been in there, I'd have come over like an absolute cunt, I have to say, uh, because of the, the way that I'd have reacted to a couple of the other characters in there. I think it would have ended up with me losing my shit a couple of times. And you didn't do that. You were sort of the... The, the cuddly face of it, I suppose, but I wanted to use cuddly in a bad way. You were the nice, softer side of it, and you weren't yeah. very comedian-y in there, I didn't think. Was that a fair assessment? I think it is, and I, I think a lot of people have said this, is like you wasn't Jed in there, but I'm like, you only know Jed from the stage mm. or what I want you to see. And I just felt if I went in there making jokes and constantly undermining things... I one, I'm gonna undermine the whole process of this show. Mm. And two, um it's gonna it's I'm not gonna get anything from it. I'm not gonna learn anything because yeah. what I've done is just gone on a fat show and made fat jokes for yeah. forty minutes. And, and, it, like, and it wasn't Big Brother, it wasn't one of those kind of shows. It it did have a sort of a, a an undercurrent of sort of science and I don't know, almost a social um, examination of obesity or whatever you want to call it. It was it was a bit more intelligent than the Big Brother style reality show. Yeah. Um, but also there was an element of some very fundamentally opposing views being thrown together. There was one woman with it. She had the short bleach blonde hair. Victoria. The, yeah, she's the body positivity kind of queen. Yeah. Um, and I I don't I just don't know how. At first, I thought when they described her, her, her and whatever, I thought, oh, she's yeah, she's she's sort of 
because she's someone who doesn't like the fat shaming thing. She should, thinks people should be able to eat what they want and be as fat as they want and all of that. But it, it felt like then she was just ignorant of the science and the health and all that. And and I wanted to, I genuinely wanted to kind of grab her and shake her through the TV. What was it like being in a house with someone like that? <laughs> um. I didn't spend too much time with her away from the cameras. Like when we yeah. we had to be put together, we got put together. But um, the thing is, some of her principles were right. Yeah. Some of her, she, I I think body positivity is a good thing and self love is a good thing. Yeah. But I do say she wasn't a good voice for it. Yeah. Because I believe she had personal reasons of pushing out her own brand. Her own marketing, her own... Yeah, because she's like a coach or something, isn't she? Some sort of... Yeah, which yeah. I imagine if I went in there and being funny, I would have come off in a similar type of thing because she yeah. wasn't being genuine. All her answers were robotic. The other voices that didn't get enough airtime because this girl, I mean, you hated her, but she was a massive talking point of the show and it probably drew a lot of attention to the show were great voices for body positivity and they would take our ideas, water them down and explain them to us. Yeah. And it would make a lot more sense type thing. Yeah. And, but like, even then, I mean, I'm not a, 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 a controversial person. I could have been in there with someone who said, Oh, fat people need to die. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like, well, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. I'm not yeah. a argumentative type of person. Yeah. I was in that house to educate myself and go on this journey and be open um, which was very difficult because I am a comedian and we had, I've hid behind fat jokes my whole life. Yeah. And I remember having a breakdown on TV. I had a break, I have a breakdown in the first episode. Yeah. Uh, because I see this guy who used to be a bouncer that's got diabetes and lost the leg. Yeah. And I, I realized yeah, yeah. his lifestyle is so similar to mine. Has it changed I, you being on there then? Yeah. Mentally and physically, uh, it's changed me a lot. Um, it made me wary that I'm not. I wasn't taking as good care of my mental health as I should be, yeah. and I also wasn't going to doctors and physically taking care of myself. But then I also learned stuff like my genes are super messed up as well, which was a weird thing to find out. Yeah, yeah, because they did uh, genetic testing to see if any of you were more sort of predisposed to to yeah keeping fat. I suppose, wasn't it? Storing fat, which was... Yeah, so I think it worked out. If you had two of these genes, you were more predetermined to be obese. And then I I had all of them, and I was in a 4%... No, wait, I had... They said, if you have four of these, you're in a 4% category of the world's population. And then he went, but you have five. <laughs> and I was like... Crying. I'm so special. <laughs> yeah. Well, like... I, I was sat next to him, so I could see all the the results type thing. I didn't know what they meant, but I realized mine were across the board, and I was like, "This ain't good." And, and so you yeah. said as well as mentally, physically, it's changed you. Obviously, are you, have you changed how you you exercise, how you eat? What have you done? Um, I'm yeah, I like I've always been active, so like. Yeah. It can't like I do eat a lot, but also I'm quite active for a big guy. I don't like if you ever see our kid show, Jenny Bear's Picnic, you look at it and go, How the fuck's he? I don't know where else to swear, but how's he yeah, got the cardio? Probably, yeah. How's yeah. he got the cardio to be doing yeah. this for an hour? Yeah, when's his next show in 20 minutes? That's crazy. So, like, I've always kind of been really active for a big guy. Um, 
so yeah, I just got a weird thing of like, I'm just, I think this is who I'm meant to be, sadly. No, <laughs> no, no six pack for me, just a fat Jason Momoa. <laughs> um, so, and then I suppose the question I would have then is someone, so you're in, you're in comedy, so obviously you're comfortable in front of people. Um, and, but you've got a, you know, this history of kind of what you've described as high functioning depression, but being on a, a BBC midweek primetime documentary like you were, um, and one that sort of inspired, a, you know, opinion, well, it wasn't like an asinine kind of bland TV show, it divided opinion. What was what was it like being at the middle of that? I mean, it probably wouldn't have lasted hugely long, although you might still get recognised now. But at the time, did you get help from the show? Did they have people on hand in case uh, yeah. you got abuse or anything like that? Or? So TV shows have changed because uh, I don't know if you know, like the guys from Love Island and Sex on the Beach have gone on to kill themselves, sadly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now you have to do a psychiatric test beforehand. Uh, and you right. also then they offer you help afterwards like and they're yeah. still keeping touch now that's good um that's a positive then isn't it yeah whereas yeah. my first tv show uh, i did so i've done two uh my right. first one i did was a naked one i got naked on bbc3 wow uh, another body positivity where can one. i find this i need to see this <laughs> uh, it's, on, it's on youtube it's called the naked uh i'll, I'll send you a link it's called the uh, naked that Truth. might sound really weird but i need to see you naked now Jeff. yeah it's called The Naked Truth, and I don't like that one because you can tell I go against the brain of what the show is trying to say. Yeah. But that one, we had no social media training, and I remember that going out, and I thinking I ruined my life. Yeah. Uh, presumably you got the... Because the, social media can be a place where, where scum managed to come to the fore. Yeah. There's so, so many horrible... Abuse, presumably. It keeps coming up on Facebook, but I never look at the Facebook one because that one is horrible. Uh, but I've looked at the YouTube comments, and they're either "this guy needs to die," or "if he lost some weight, he's very handsome," or there's a lot of lot of people just going, "actually, I still fancy Jed." So I'm just like, "Okay." You'll read those ones and enjoy those and dismiss. Yeah, them. I, I, I've replied to some of them. Like when I <laughs> here's like, my yeah, number. <laughs> um, but um, I remember that coming out, and that I was at work. I used to work in off license, and it was a Sunday day. And I remember thinking, I've ruined my life. Like, I've hit a behind jerks for so long. People are going to see all my weaknesses. And I hid away. I didn't want to share it. I didn't want to do anything. And then it just started happening like I was getting tagged in it. And I was like, fuck. And then my friend Jack Leder tagged me in a post saying, oh, this is amazing, Jed, so thoughtful, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. I was like, right, it's out there. Everyone's seen it. I need to get in front of it and like kind of put some positive, positive mental attitude in. So I first threw some jokes in there and I put it out there. And you know what? It was so well received by people I care about. And this is why I did the second show as well. Because, I mean, even today, like we're talking to you later, I would say on average I receive about 20 messages a week from people I don't know that I've just seen the TV shows, that either feel that way or they felt that way or they need advice. And that's why I will put myself out there, despite the fact it's probably not good for my own mental health at times mm. because it helps so many people. That's wicked, man. It's a great attitude. Yeah. It's really good. So 
future wise, because we're sort of coming towards the end now, future wise, um, the end of the podcast, not the end of everything. Um, so future wise, you're, you're starting to get, have you got many gigs lined up? Uh, yeah, I've got a handful of gigs. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm back comparing some pro nights and stuff and, I just need some practice, I guess. I'm, I'm so incredible. That's it. Here. Just get the ring rust off, isn't it? And and uh, you know, I'm sure five minutes in, you'll be back to back to normal. I think it's you know, especially comparing. You've got that audience banter and and stuff. And but yeah. um, are you going to talk about about lockdown about COVID? Is it? Uh, uh, someone asked me that the other week, and I sort of said that if I'm doing a set, I probably won't talk about it. But if I'm comparing it, it it's going to be hard initially not to. I think. I think you got to mention it. I think yeah. you got to accept it. Um, and be like, well, well, I think you're gonna, you know, I'm gonna come out and be like, I'm not saying lockdown was long, but when it started, I was skinny and bald. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're like a sexy Captain Caveman. <laughs> you won't remember Captain Caveman, will you? Too I remember Captain Caveman. Oh, yeah, I got all my uh, Hanna Barbera. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't. I think I'm gonna mention it, but also like. People don't want. I think it'll be like Brexit. Like eventually, people are like we don't yeah. care. You know, I mean, you can't just go out there and be like, "Oh, so who's still got pasta left and all that shit?" Cause it's gonna yeah. be, it's gonna be everybody's shtick, isn't it? But I think maybe there, there's probably a few, a few veins of material to be mined about. Like I, I what people did to, to my, pass the time. My friend Andy, I was like, I really want to go to an open mic night, and he's like, "Why?" And I was like, "I don't. I, I'm sorry, I don't even want to be on. I just want to sit there." And see how many times people make the same yeah. lockdown jerks. You could play COVID bingo, couldn't you? I think you could yeah. play a bingo card there, and you'd soon, particularly at open mic level, where you can you can read the newspaper and predict what you know four or five gags that are going to be at the next open mic night or something like that. It's um, why I always try and do personal comedy. Yeah, just like, if I talk about lockdown, I'll do personal experience or something yeah. I did in lockdown, not just the news and stuff, because I feel like. Yeah, I've written a bit about yoga. I tried yoga for the first time doing lockdown. Um, so I've written, I've got about three, three, four minutes on on me trying yoga and why I'll probably never do it again. Um, which I think, and and that wouldn't have happened without lockdown. It was just one of those things. But it's not really lockdown specific. So, um, but yes, yeah, so things like that. I think people will, you know, how they pass the time and stuff like that. But no one wants to hear about Lou Roll and pasta and. You know, Zoom yeah. calls. They come to comedy. Had the same experience. So, um, so I've got a question for you. Then this is a question I ask at the end of every episode, um, to everyone. Um, and so far, um, I've been, I've, you know, not been surprised by the outcome. But we'll see. If you could guarantee, if I offered you a magic wand now, like a, a genie wish or whatever you want to call it, and I could click my fingers, and for the rest of your life, your your mental health was guaranteed to be on a on an even keel in a good place but the price you had to pay was you never got on stage again would that be a deal that you would take no not not even even not even close <laughs> that's yeah no i i feel like as shitty as my mental health is sometimes like the joy of gigging like it's what i want to do i feel like it sounds stupid to say it's a calling but like as much as I talked about, you know, it's time to get out and mm. maybe look for a different job. Even if I have a different job, I will always still stand up. I will do this for free. Yeah. Like, that's what... I, I just had the pleasure of making it a career. So when he promoters listening, he doesn't mean he'll do it for free. He wants money. No, yeah, obviously, travel expenses. <laughs> but, 
Do you know what I mean? If it all it all went to pot, I could honestly spend the rest of my life doing open mic nights uh, in my hometown, and people would be like, "Wow, this kid could have made it." <laughs> you could have been. You'd be the guy that could have been a contender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is always my fear. <laughs> I, I I genuinely, I, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your your lovely ass. Um, I think genuinely, you know, ride this out this time next year or so things will be back to something like normality. I know that's a long time, but you know, you've you were on the cusp of something and I think you'll get there again. Um it's Thank just you very much, you've man. just got to stick Appreciate it out, that. man, you know. because um, it would be a loss. I don't know you'll get you say you'll do, do sort of smaller gigs, but it'll be a loss. It's coming needs people like you with that positive attitude. Um I've always enjoyed watching your you know, your stuff online and, and, and uh you're one of the gentlemen of, of uh, the northern comedy scene, I think. So, um, so listen. Thank you for coming on, um, no, and I hope to gig that. with you soon. Um, yeah, I'll be please. I'll be running some gigs in West Yorkshire coming up. So if you fancy a spot, let me know. And uh, absolutely, dude. Anytime. Um, yeah, and just uh, stay safe, man. You too, dude. Just take care of yourself. That's all. So there you go, that was episode 16. Um, I think you'll agree, Jed's lovely, really easy. I could have talked for hours. Um, and, you know, we we really didn't touch on um, one of the usual topics that I normally would touch on, which is how comedy and mental health coexist. What we talked about really was how the absence of comedy has impacted on Jed um, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing, really. So, you know, there might be an opportunity to speak to Jed at the future and, and have him back on talk more generally once he's back up and running with comedy but i had a really interesting conversation i could talk to him for hours as i say so um definitely look him up he's, he's a lovely guy very funny um and uh easy on the eye so do give it a listen uh do give him a listen i should say um and look him up um and join us next week for another guest on sparks of madness cheers bye Sparks of Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a Gag and Bone Man comedy production.